Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. That's why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 30, we sit down with Bob Hinkle, who is the president and CEO at Metris Energy. Bob walks us through his background and why he started Metris 11 years ago. Bob also does a masterful job of discussing the energy as a service model. So if you've been hearing that term as a service and wondering what it means, this episode is for you. You'll also want to stick around until the end to hear Bob's daily non-negotiables. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of those people who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now we think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Bob. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Bob Hinkle, who is the President and CEO at Metris Energy. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I know we got connected through uh, through a mutual contact there at, uh, at AESCO, organization that we're both involved in. So I'm glad we're able to make this happen. And I know uh, you've been involved in the industry for a long time. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to know you or at least recognize your name. But for people out there who don't know who you are, Bob, can you just give us a, a brief idea of your background? Yeah, I mean, I've been working in the energy efficiency space for, for over 20 years. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, living out in San Francisco, which is where Metris is headquartered and have been out here for a while. But I actually grew up on the East Coast, a, a little outside in Boston in a town called Lexington, Massachusetts. And I guess uh, <laughs> Lexington's claim to fame is it was the first site of the Battle of the Revolutionary War. Um, and the battle didn't go so well as far as battles go. We lost pretty badly, but uh, it still gets celebrated every year in, in, in Lexington. They do a reenactment. We lose every year, um, but it was a fun place to, 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 to cool. grow up. And when, when I was younger, I played uh, a, lot of, a lot of hockey and baseball, and at least for hockey, you know, back when you could count on the ice freezing every winter you know, and getting out on the pond, which sadly now the, the skating season in so many places is getting shorter and shorter um but you know it did that quite a bit growing up and i went to college in the northeast went to middlebury college in vermont which is a smaller liberal arts school and i studied international politics economics and german there and then after college uh, really cobbled together a series of consulting assignments you know a lot of which kind of first set me on the path in the energy industry i worked for uh, a congressman from Massachusetts and Washington, D.C., and then ended up doing some work at the World Bank and ultimately landed at Booz Allen and Hamilton in New York and, and did some work in their energy and utility practice for a few years before going back to graduate school where I got a master's uh, from the Fletcher School, International Law and Diplomacy, before heading back uh, you know, to where I am now in San Francisco to go work for, uh, for Bechtel Corporation. So with everything that's going on in California, do you ever feel a pull to get back to the Northeast, pick up and move back home? 
You know, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, you know, home is out here, but I definitely enjoy going back and, you know, maybe I've gotten a little softer and avoid some of the winters and go back during the summer. And, you know, it's one of the tough parts about uh, everything in our current COVID environment, you know, this this summer I didn't get, didn't, didn't get back East. It didn't make sense to, you know, have my whole family travel back with me and get back there. And it's, it's funny, you forget how much uh, getting back uh, to the Northeast during the summer kind of grounds you in terms of season. So, you know, it's, it's crazy now it's December and I keep on thinking, Oh, when's, when's summer coming along? So <laughs> missed that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I got a bit of the same thing. I, I grew up in Chicago and I live in Florida today. So, you know, going back to Chicago during the summer is very pleasant, but uh, I try to keep my, uh, my visits <laughs> limited during this, this time of the year for sure. So, I hear you on that. Well, um, okay, so so you brought us up to present day. Tell us a little bit about Metris, you know, who you guys are, and kind of the genesis of you starting the company. Yeah, I mean, maybe even you know taking a step back. I mean, a little bit of you know the, the formation of Metris. Maybe I, th- I think about a little bit in terms of what got me in the industry. Maybe I I took a little bit of a circuitous route uh, to to get to founding a company and you know, specifically one within the energy sector. I didn't come at things from an engineering or an overly technical perspective. You know, I think what really hooked me, you know, first into the world of energy and then energy efficiency and clean energy is that it's a pretty unique um, industry segment, I think, because each of the projects that you do really bring together a pretty unique cross-section of, you know, very different and important topics. I mean, it's, you know, there's financing involved. uh, There's, economic development impacts that are involved in each of the projects that you're doing. There's certainly an environmental implication for all of our work. And then there's usually a mix of uh, regulatory and policy issues. And that's kind of what excited me about the world of the world of energy. And uh, after graduate school, I went to go work, you know, at Bechtel Corporation and and was there for, for 10 plus years. And Kind of oddly enough, the work that I was doing was pretty split down the middle between work that was involving the financing of uh, larger scale generation projects, usually under third party financing type structures, power purchase agreements. And the other half was more, you know, not so much supply side work, but demand side work inside the fence at industrial and commercial facilities, helping them figure out how to save energy and consume less. And you know, something that I learned early on that I think a lot of the folks that listen to your show here know that, you know, the quickest and cheapest kilowatt hour you can get is the one that you don't consume. And a lot of that work I was doing, you know, was 10, 15 years ago. And there's a lot of different financing options out there for projects on the generation side. You know, 10 plus years ago, you started to see a trend for uh, power purchase agreements starting to be used for smaller scale renewable energy projects, particularly in solar, but also in wind but you had nothing for energy efficiency. And that's really kind of the first, you know, time I started to think about Metris. It was, you know, okay, there's there's a huge massive market for energy efficiency, but customers are left to their own devices to figure out how to finance it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really kind of seen the success and the ability of PPAs to help scale the solar industry. That's when I decided to, you know, establish Metris and, you know, that was back in 2009. And, really, you know, have been at it since, but created Metris back then to be a dedicated financing vehicle and instrument, really solution for customers initially in the private sector, but then increasingly in not-for-profit colleges and hospitals, but also now public sector as well, that that type of missing piece um, where the where financing was a major barrier to energy efficiency. And that's, that's, that's what got Metris started. 
Yeah, and it's I mean, eleven years ago seems like a long time in in this almost like revolutionary way of financing projects. So it was like only over the last couple of years have I started, and I've been doing it about eleven years. And you know, the early part of my career, you know, in this industry, we didn't hear a whole lot about energy as a service. It isn't until recently I start hearing this this term. So I guess one thing I'm I'm curious about on on your end, Bob, you know, what is the customer reception? like today versus when you started the company? Yeah, it's, it's a significant change. And I think you're right to pick up on the last, you know, two, three, four years. There, there really has started to be a major shift in awareness of customers understanding, you know, the structure, starting to think of energy efficiency a little bit more, you know, almost akin to the supply side where they're starting to put a kilowatt hour saved on par with the kilowatt hour that they're consuming on the supply side. So there has been a shift, but in the early days, it you know was, was was very new. I mean, we definitely benefited from a lot of the great work in the solar industry again with pioneering power purchase agreements. But that that took a while to get hold, and I think over the last couple of years, it's been a little bit of uh, a convergence of you know you know maturity of the market, um, definitely benefiting from third party financing structures. Coupled with, I think, what was a little bit of a slower uh, emergence, but now I think is a real major shift where companies are starting to very proactively think about things from a sustainability, ESG, climate change perspective. And they're setting some pretty big targets um, that have dates that aren't all that far off. And two things are, you know, front and center with those type of targets. You know, one the only way you're going to get there is energy efficiency. Um, sometimes customers have uh, an instinct to jump to solar or renewable energy first, rather than you know tackle you know some of the the ability to decarbonize their own operations from what they're consuming. But if anyone's going to get anywhere, it's going to have to have a massive amount of energy efficiency. And then the second thing is a lot of these targets are are typically unfunded mandates, and so you're going to need need financing. Um, and a lot of that I think has brought um, the whole energy as a service movement um, front and center. And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a, the whole energy as a service industry is something that is, you know, starting to emerge, but still is a little nascent. And it's something where we're, we're seeing a pretty significant need for some standardization. And that's what we're trying to push at Metris. Yeah, that was going to be my, my next question here, because I think everyone listening to this is either going to have, they're going to have different levels of an understanding of what energy as a service is, right? So as, as you guys look at it, and you know, I don't know if there's any like new initiatives that you're rolling out, if you're approaching the market in a different way, but how do, when, when you guys use the term energy service, when you're communicating with your clients, I mean, how are you framing it up and how are you guys evaluating the market today? Yeah, I mean, I guess first in terms of maybe a, a little bit of defining the as-a-service industry, and then can yeah. talk about some some initiatives we have. I think I think the two kind of go go hand in hand. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it's a fragmented sector, and and if if you look out there, and probably a lot of people listening here have heard of as-a-service and in, in, in different you know different names, different 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 ways it's been defined. Um, there's the broad-based energy as a service, which really includes, you know, everything. You, you hear people going out and marketing lighting as a service, cooling as a service, infrastructure as a service, even, you know, steam traps as a service. And it, it gets confusing for customers. Um, and I think even though there's a lot of opportunity and benefits with all these different op- offerings, it, it's confusing. And, you know, something that we we talk about or think about internally a little bit as, a, as an analogy is you, you go, 
you go back in you know history and uh, you know you look to the the late 1800s of the National Banking Act you know came out around the time of the Civil War there was at that time you know I almost eight to ten thousand different private entities that were each issuing their own currency and you know it was inefficient and unwieldy and then you know after the National Banking Act you get a single national currency and you know maybe it's not a you know direct or perfect analogy here. But I think you really need to start to um, center around, you know, some some core elements or core values of what as a service is. And first and center, I think it's sustainability. Um, I think really, if if you look at what, where the drivers are coming, where the interest from customers is coming, it's a, it's a way for them to get facility improvements done and to tackle some pretty big and ambitious sustainability initiatives. So I think defining it more as Sustainable energy as a service is is really the way um, that we're looking at it. That we're thinking resonates with customers, and I think really you know encapsulates really the the core values of of the offering, where you're looking to deliver to customers whether it's energy efficiency, solar, um, even getting into the transportation mode, EV charging infrastructure, energy storage is certainly part of the equation there. Those are the different technology elements that can be put under this sustainable energy as a service umbrella where customers can have someone come in, a third party that'll finance and own um, the, the, the assets that are involved in the project. That's a key element of defining as a service. You need a third party financer and an owner that's right. coming in and funding 100% of the upfront costs. Um, they need to have the, the output of the project, you know, whether it's a kilowatt hour saved of electricity or a kilowatt hour of renewable energy that's generated. They need to have that offering under a pay for performance structure. I think if you go for a very heavy fixed charge, almost like a lease type payment structure from the financing side, you're naturally falling outside of the definition of as a service. It needs to be a pay for performance structure. Um, and that's that's really where where we're seeing the market going, and it it dovetails into some changes and evolutions at Metris. You know, you mentioned you know, the company's been around now for for eleven years. Um, we started out, we really pioneered the efficiency services agreement that that centered in just on energy. We've evolved over time to include water efficiency, um, but you know, this past fall we launched our sustainable energy services agreement where we're still adhering to our principle of energy efficiency first, which I think is, you know, the first thing that a customer should do. They should they should tackle their direct emissions, and energy efficiency is the best and fastest way to do that. But we're also seeing customers increasingly ask and and really demand alongside that energy efficiency to have solar implemented. And if you're if you're looking at solar, uh, you know, energy storage quickly comes into the picture. And then for companies that are more ambitious in terms of thinking about decarbonization of their operations, EV charging infrastructure comes in. So in terms of where we see the industry going, I think it's around sustainability and how we as a company are trying to differentiate ourselves is around sustainability as well, um, where we're not going to do a project unless it's going to have a positive impact on someone's scope one or their direct emissions. You know, we, we look at those types of things when we're evaluating projects because ultimately I, th- I think I think that's just where the industry is heading, and that it fits with the launch of our new SESA product um, that that we're we're pretty excited about. Yeah. Now, at what point do you still hear the response from a customer like, 
hey, this sounds great. It almost sounds like it's too good to be true. What's what's the catch? Because when you start looking into energy as service, it sounds like just the greatest deal in the world. Like who wouldn't want to do this? Do you hear that from customers still? Yeah, we do. I mean, I think increasingly customers are starting to get more and more familiar with the structure, sure. which is, is sure. great. And, you know, and over the, the over the past, you know, since since I founded Metris, there's been more and more competition, you know, coming into the market. There's new, you know, added companies out there, which is which is fantastic. And I think it speaks to the opportunity. But yeah, we do get that um, reaction from customers or more maybe how how we try to approach projects is on a pretty transparent basis with customers because at one level you can go into a customer and you know maybe for sake of example they're they're paying their utility 10 cents you know all in uh, generation transmission distribution they're paying 10 cents per kilowatt hour they're consuming and you could go in and say hey I'll charge you nine cents per kilowatt hour saved and on on one level you know you, you can argue that customers should do that you know all day um, because they're they're cash flow positive. But customers also ultimately start to look at the equipment and the work that's involved and start to think about what their likely expected payments are going to be. And ultimately, customers can start to get a sense of what the underlying cost of capital is on these projects. And we're always pretty transparent about what we're doing. And almost they're trying to think about the, I guess you could call it, uh, learning curve or educational path that a customer might have on the as a service structure. And we're trying to help them along the way, um, you know, not trying to hide anything from them, just be straightforward and, and, and lay out the pieces so they can see the benefits of it. And, you know, you know, ultimately know some of the underlying costs, but also, also as part of that, be educating customers on what the benefits are of the structure, which it's, it's more than just a simple, least single point in time financing. It's much more of an integration of technical and financial services, both in the upfront development of the project, but also once a project is up and running, we're typically paying for some form of ongoing added maintenance that's relevant to the assets that we're financing. Um, There's ongoing measurement and verification during each and every year, the performance of the project. And increasingly, that measurement is becoming you know, more, more real time. And that also is providing value in terms of other elements of operation that uh, are going on at a customer's facility and also starting to give more of a, uh, a real visible way to show the carbon reductions and environmental benefits from each project. Well, it's been super educational. I think there's a lot of people listening to this like, finally, I got an explanation for uh, this energy as a service term that I keep hearing about in the industry. So I appreciate you walking us through that and breaking it down. And, and Bob, what I wanted to do here was just transition to the last part of the show. The same four questions that I asked to every guest who comes on. I wanted to start off here and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables? Yeah, I mean... I guess probably a couple different different you know levels. I mean, you know, obviously spending time with my wife and kids. I have three kids, three three teenagers. Um, but you know, so maybe they want to spend less time with me now. But uh, but you know, that's that's something I certainly try to do. Getting in some exercise every day, and maybe uh, maybe of late with with uh, our, our kind of COVID world, we we've been at least at Metris, we've been working remotely since uh, since since March, but. You know, have to establish some new new routines and 
I have a, a dog that we got a little over a year ago. So after after 40 plus years having cats, I, I guess I'm a dog person now. But I, I get up every morning and enjoy that, you know, walking the dog. And then at at night, you know, probably more so than normal, taking the time to wind down a little bit. I mean, during the day, I'm definitely consuming a lot of information, but maybe I'm not controlling the pace of that information. And at night, you know, I've been definitely more, more, more taking the time to sit down and read before I go to bed and, you know, doing that for, for 20 minutes or so and, and using that to unwind. Sounds like a very well-rounded routine there. Uh, that's a, that's good stuff. So Bob, what advice you're graduating from, was it Middlebury College? <laughs> yeah. Middlebury College, right around the age of 22. What advice would you give to your 22-year-old self? That's, uh, that's, that's, that's a good question. And, uh, one that kind of interestingly enough to kind of answer it in this way. So, I'm uh, you know, age myself, but I'm, I'm coming up not too far off from my 30th uh, reunion from graduating at Middlebury and someone sent around a, a friend of mine had put together a video, which I don't know how he did it. It wasn't done. Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't have a phone and a camera that could do it. So he must've had like a, some type of uh, clunky handheld thing, but he, he, you know, it was after lunch or something and people were streaming out and he has some snippets where he's talking to, it must be about a hundred different people real quick. He just answers the question of, you know, what, what, what are you going to do now? You know, what's next? And it was funny because so many people were just basically like, you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, ho- hopefully working somewhere was, was probably uh, the, the answer. And I think now, and I, and I'm, I'm definitely not saying it's a bad thing, but I think now that someone was probably to go do that same video, I think you'd have people that would be a lot more prescriptive in what they're going to do. And uh, I think, you know, even though it's great, if, if you have it figured out, you know, at, at 22, what you want to do, you want to become a doctor or whatever. Um, but at, at least for me, you know, I didn't. And I think, you know, trying to, to think of something that maybe is going to, that you think at least at the time is going to be a straight line path that rarely works out that way. It's more of kind of a little bit of winding. And so I'd say, you know, opt for accumulating experiences um, and, you know, piece together what interests you, what motivates you and, you know, let, let that be a little bit of your guide. So it, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, something that you have, have all figured out because, you know, probably even if you do it, uh, you know, you, you, you're going to, you're going to find out some new things as you go along. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I, I, I enjoy what we do. I mean, you know, getting back to kind of what got me into um, the, the world of energy, it, it, it's work that matters. It makes a difference, I think, in the world, whether it's, you know, your country's economic efficiency and, and increasingly, it's, it's environmental health. I mean, I, there's definitely been an evolution in, in my thinking you know, from my earlier days at Bechtel about, um, you know, the projects. The projects that we do are multifaceted, have all kinds of benefits. Um, but of, of late, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly been, I think, you know, feeling lucky and motivated to get up every day and do something that matters in, in terms of fighting climate change. You know, each of the projects we do are, are reducing emissions of carbon. and uh, I, I, you know, I think pretty, you know, metrics, we talk about how we're pretty fortunate that, that everything we do is working towards that. And that, that, that's a motivator for sure. And last question here, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? <laughs> another, 
another tough and you know, multifaceted one. I mean, yeah, you know, probably most important thing to be a good father, a good husband, um, from, you know, a good friend, uh, and, and, and from a work perspective, I would say, you know, someone that's known for being pretty straightforward and in, in the way he does business. Um, there shouldn't, shouldn't be a lot of surprises if, if you're doing a deal with me or with, or with Metris and, Hopefully, someone that built uh, or helped build a uh, a company that's enduring and out there trying to do the right things, and you know, certainly in terms of combating climate change. Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up the show here, Bob. Thanks a lot for the time, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, really appreciate uh, you inviting me here. It was fun. All right. All right, there you have it, episode 30 with Bob Hinkle. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well if you're finding value in this content. And one last thing that I would ask here, if you have ideas for future guests from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.